It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. Let me begin today by making a few brief comments regarding Paul's call to Christianity. This experience is first described in chapter 9 of the book of Acts in the New Testament. Chapters 22 and 26 give added details. Paul was then known as Saul of Tarsus. That city in Asia Minor was his hometown. He first appears in Christian history as the man at whose feet the antagonist who stoned Stephen laid their clothes and to whom his death Saul consented. Following the death of Stephen, Saul gave himself with fanatical fury persecuting the followers of Jesus, generally spoken of in those days as the way. Others were undoubtedly involved in that same cruel business, but Saul's tireless and vengeful activities far exceeded the others. Saul despised the way's crucified Messiah and regarded the way as both politically and religiously dangerous. He was on the road to Damascus with documents from the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish assembly for governing the religious activities in Israel during the Roman occupation at the time of Jesus. These documents would enable him to arrest the Christians in Damascus and take them bound to Jerusalem to be tried before the Sanhedrin. As Saul was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light flashed around him and he and his comrades fell to the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The first question out of Saul's mouth was, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Saul of Tarsus was accosted by the resurrected Jesus. That encounter with the risen Lord turned Saul's whole life right side up. Having now come to the discovery of the real Lord, the one who was vindicated of the charge of blasphemy by the resurrection from the dead, Saul had one further question he wanted answered. Lord, what will you have me do? This is the supreme question each follower of Christ must confront and answer, am I really operating in the will of God? That question introduces us to the next topic for this episode. What is the usual method whereby Christians commonly determine the will of God? The 1995 book, 
Finding the Will of God, written by Bruce Waltke, Professor Emeritus of Biblical Studies at Regent's College, Vancouver, British Columbia. His book has the subtitle, A Pagan Notion, question mark. The subtitle, Expanded, indicates that Walkie thinks the usual methods that Christians use for finding the will of God actually are pagan concepts. In pursuit of a satisfying answer for his subtitle, Walkie examines many practices that Christians pass off as divine guidance and suggests that such practices bear an unsettling resemblance to the way pagans seek to determine the divine guidance. Walkie says, Far too many Christians rely on faulty logic to divine the will of God. Why? He opines that many are using unbiblical methods to answer the most significant question for any Christian to ask. Walke lists several common examples Christians might consider as we talk about concerning God's will, making decisions, or determining the actions we might take next. Listen to one of Bruce Walke's examples. Margaret is a successful career woman with a desire to please God. She would like to do something significant for Christ, but feels her job prevents her from making any changes. Margaret's church recently held a missionary conference in which the speaker challenged Christians to become involved in world evangelism and encouraged everyone to justify why they are not serving the Lord overseas. Those words dovetail with other apparently random events in Margaret's life. The next day, Margaret reads about a hurricane that devastated the Marshall Islands. That very afternoon, a co-worker making plans for a vacation leaves a brochure on the Marshall Islands, and Margaret decides to pray that the Lord would make his will clear to her. That night, her husband comes home complaining that the best man in his office, a young man named Marshall, has been transferred to the East Coast office. Margaret interprets all of these circumstances as indicating God's will for her and her husband to go to the Marshall Islands as missionaries. Should they go there and later return and speak at a church, they likely will tell them the exact same story. Many will agree they have determined God's will for them. Their story will be the primary evidence for that determination. Some people will be astounded by the way God used those circumstances to reveal his will. Here's my question. Is Margaret's interpretation correct? I think not. This kind of practice is paganism and not Christianity. It relies too much on circumstances. I am reminded that to enter a harbor at night, a ship's captain must line up three strategically placed lights. One or two won't do the job. Otherwise, he will not be successful, 
of entering the harbor. The same idea is true in determining God's will. We can't rely on one class of indicators. The Bible reveals at least six ways in which God guides. First, inner conviction from an educated conscience. Second, the scriptures. Third, scriptural prayer. Fourth, thinking biblically. Fifth, circumstances. And sixth, in doing what is right. I would suggest that the believer line up at least three of the ways given in the Bible, perhaps circumstances, scripture, and prayer. Let me state boldly that Margaret's interpretation is paganism and not Christianity. Let me explain. That is akin to treating a fortune cookie message at a Chinese restaurant as a supernatural message directly from God. That's like reading tea leaves. That's not discerning the will of God. That is similar to looking at the stars and constellations in the heavens, trying to discern the story that they tell. That's horoscope reading. That is definitely not biblical Christianity. But, unfortunately, this is the usual and most common approach to which many Christians attempt to discern and determine God's will. Margaret's story will be absolutely fine theologically with many Christians. Some might marvel at the goodness of God being so clear and so specific with his people. That is why we need to know precisely what is a proper biblical approach. Let's consider the passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That passage indicates precisely how we should walk in the will of God. That verse says, Be not conformed. Let me pause to explain that conforms mean being pressed into a mold and shaped by an external structure. The passage continues, Be not conformed to this world. Usually the Greek word for world is cosmos, which refers to a host of ideas. A, order or arrangement of, say, the stars, planets, and constellations of the universe observable in the world, or perhaps referring to seasons. It can mean B, the earth, C, the human race, D, Gentiles as distinguished from the Jews, E, the present condition of human affairs and alienation from and opposition to God, and F, the language of the world of iniquity. But here the Greek word is not cosmos, but aeon. That word implies an expression suggesting un undefined periods of time. Thus, it means an age, a period of time which is often marked in New Testament usage as referring to spiritual or moral characteristics and cares. Sometimes aeon suggests ever or forever. Another translation of the last phrase is, do not be fashioned by this age. In other words, do not take this age as your fashion model if you want to be adorned by God. Romans 12.2 continues, 
but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho, from which we get the English word metamorphosis. Meta is to change, and morphe is to shape or form. Thus, the Greek word means to make a complete change of form, shape, structure, or substance. That change is exhibited by the metamorphosis of a larvae to a butterfly. This verse is saying there must be a radical change in the inner man for one to live rightly in this age. Let me give a quote from Dr. Young E. Cho. If you do not change the way you speak and the things you say, you cannot change fundamentally. The Greek word anakinosis means renovation or renewal. The word for mind is nous. Fine's Expository Dictionary says mind refers to the seat of reflective consciousness comprising the faculties of perception and understanding and those of feeling, judging, and determining. Let's return to our passage. That you may prove what is that good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God. There are six Greek verbs translated prove in the New Testament. This word is dokimazo, which can also mean to test with the expectation of approving. That's the word here. So let us understand dokimazo to mean to prove by testing or to accept as approved after testing. Thus, this verb says, prove by testing what is that good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of God by the renewing of your mind. The word translated perfect in Romans 12, verse 2, is the Greek word teleos, derived from telos, which means an end attained, a closing act, full performance, final stage, ultimate destiny. So teleos means to be brought to completion, to be entire as opposed to what is partial and limited, fully accomplished, fully developed, fully grown, of ripe age, without shortcoming in respect of a certain standard, to come to maturity. To understand the will of God requires us to test the evidence in the context of our mind being renewed by the scriptures, prayer, and our relationship with the Lord Jesus. We test the level of how far our mind has been renewed by how it affects our daily life. If we have some experience and we never consider it in the light of Scripture, then the mind is not renewed enough. Allow me to close this episode by reading the Phillips translation of Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in your faith 
that by the power of the Holy Spirit, your whole life and outlook may be radiant with hope. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.